I had to learn that you cannot have a good marriage if you're not willing to admit I was wrong. I should not have done that. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Everyone wants to find love. And even more, to be crazy in love. They don't want to make a mistake. Today, getting the love piece right before you get married. When I feel cold, you warm me. And when I feel I can't go on, you come and hold me. It's you and me forever. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family with Dr. Tim Clinton. Hi, this is Bill Scott. Great to have you back. Boy, do we have a show for you because I can promise you're going to want to sort of lean in towards the radio on this one. If you're married, yeah, this show's for you. Bill, I heard it once said that marriage is telling. I thought, what in the world does that mean? You take two people who are very different, male and female, you place them in this relationship that's so close that everything about you is revealed. And you tell them to live happily ever after. Different mm-hmm. temperaments, different personalities. It could be anything. I can't wait to hear what our special guest has to say on the things I wish I had known before I got married. Yeah, today's going to be a great show. You're going to want to tune in. Dr. Gary Chapman is the special guest today. He's an author, speaker, pastor, and a counselor. He has a passion for people and helping them form lasting relationships. He's the best-selling author of The Five Love Languages with $7 million in sales. Dr. Chapman has written more than 30 books. He has marriage and family life seminars all across the United States and around the world. And now today we're able to tap into his wisdom and get some really godly answers for what we're going through in our marriages. Gary, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Well, thank you, Tim and Bill. Great to be with you guys today. Hey, Gary, for you, this is a little bit of an interesting twist doing a book like this. A little um, challenging for you, just to reveal some stuff about you. (laughs) Well, you know, Tim, I uh, have written for years, of course, on marriage and parenting, and I've wanted for a long time to address a book specifically to singles who are, you know, moving down that road. You know, I asked God, I said, you know, what can I do that will be meaningful? Because I know that most young couples today are not going to read a heavy-duty academic book on marriage, the answer came, you know, why don't you just share your own journey and what it was like in the early years of your marriage and the things you've learned now, if you had known them earlier, it would have made your life easier. (laughs) So that's kind of the context, you know, in which I wrote this book, and I'm really excited about it. Love is never enough, Gary. It almost sounds heretical to say that, but there's a piece in there that really does make sense. Explain it for us. Well, yes, I say in the book, I wish I'd known that love is not an adequate foundation for marriage. And the reality is, you know, when I got married, I was in love, as most couples are. But I had the mistaken idea that it was going to last forever, because that's what I'd heard. If it's the real thing, it's going to last forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I anticipated that I was going to be as happy as I was at that juncture the rest of my life, because I'd found the right one. And I didn't know that the average lifespan of those euphoric feelings that we associate with being in love uh, has an average lifespan of two years. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, so I'd been dating her for about two years before we got married. 
So I actually started down off the high on the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good thing. And she'll tell you that she kind of went down further than I did on the honeymoon. <laughs> oh, that's really not a good thing. <laughs> so, you know, we were Christians. You know, we prayed about getting married. We believed it was God's will. And as I said, we were in love, and we thought it was going to be wonderful. But honestly, uh, Tim, within six months, I was more miserable than I'd been my whole life. And so was she, because the dreams I had of what it was going to be like when we got married just simply didn't happen. And we kept running into conflicts, and she thought one way, and I thought the other way. And I didn't understand why any sane person would not agree with me, you know? <laughs> I had some of that disease, too, Gary. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I later found out that we were not unique, you know, that a lot of other people people went through the same thing. So what I'm trying to say to folks before they get married is, it's wonderful to be in love. I'm not against that experience. It's a great experience. And I think you ought to go through that. But you need to understand that's not the foundation because it's temporary. It's going to evaporate. You really ought to look at a lot of other things. Yeah. Gary, I want to talk about marital preparation just as a side note here. Really, it isn't. It's an anchor. Well, we really believe in how significant premarital counseling is for a couple. Can you address what your passion is there? Yeah, I really think you're exactly right, Tim. What I'm coming to believe more and more is that we start too late, that most young people have the idea that you start getting help to prepare for marriage after you get engaged. But I really believe there's a whole lot of things that we could be learning much, much earlier in the process. So, uh, you know, I'm saying to people who are freshmen in college, if you ever plan to get married, now's the time. For you to begin reading things on marriage, begin learning some things about marriage. What does it take to be married? Learn some of the skills that are going to be needed in marriage. If we can back the process up a bit, by the time they get ready to get married, they'll first of all make a better choice about getting married, but then they'll be more open to go through premarital counseling after they are engaged. So I think both are important. I just think we need to begin moving back earlier in the process, helping young people. And modeling it from uh, mom and dad, too. Counseling itself, and I know, Gary, you've talked about this, isn't just for couples who are in trouble. It's very helpful in just growing your love, period. Yeah, and especially in uh, premarriage. We call it premarital counseling. Uh, it is counseling, but we're learning things in that process, and every couple needs to learn some things. It's not just couples that we're not sure we're going to make it. I mean, why would you get married if you have that attitude? You know, <laughs> We plan to make it, and we're going to learn everything we can before we get married. That's the spirit. That's the attitude. My wife and I are always involved in just ongoing marriage counseling, and sort of my thought is let's not wait for it to have a meltdown. Let's go early and figure out how do we work through this. Now, we're at a point in our life where she just sends me with a note for the counselor, <laughs> work on these things with Bill and send them back. Here's what he needs this week. Yeah, please fix this. Send Bill back. Fine. Hey, and there's something about a fresh set of eyes, Gary. There uh, is. Not that we're going to go out and just you know, dump our dirty laundry out in front of anybody. Right. But there is something about marriage coaching, marriage mentoring, and marriage counseling to keep our love strong. You know, the scriptures say that, Tim, that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And I think any couple that's contemplating marriage needs to talk to someone outside themselves. It can be a professional counselor. It can be a pastor. It can be really a mature friend whose marriage they admire 
but they need to talk to someone outside the marriage to get a different perspective on things, someone that's been down the road that can give them some ideas on what to expect so that you're not shocked when you get into certain situations. Now, we're talking today about some of the things Gary wishes he knew before he got married. Gary, I love this one. Like mother, like daughter, and like father, like son isn't a myth. You actually do. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I say to Tim, to young couples, is this. I say to her, look at his father, because in 10 years, he's very likely to be like his father. And I can see her eyes, you know, she's beginning to think and wonder here. And I say to him, look at her mother, because she's very likely to be like her mother in 10 years. And I can tell that they think, this is not true, this is not true. (laughs) And I sometimes illustrate, I say, you know, if his father is an alcoholic, there's a good chance he will be. If her mother breaks in a conversation when her father's talking, and she says, no, honey, it wasn't Thursday night, it was Wednesday night. You know, if she's always breaking in to his conversation, uh, she'll likely do that to you. And then they say to me, wait a minute, do we have to reproduce the negative things in our parents' marriage? And I say, no, no, you don't have to. But now is the time to recognize those patterns and to begin to do some things to make it different. For example, if his father's an alcoholic, he needs to be studying alcoholism. He needs to find out what happens. How does a person get there? And how do you handle stress without having to go there? You know, he needs to learn some things about that so that he won't turn out to be like his father. If his daddy struggles with showing love or affection. Same principle. I say this to just kind of wake couples up to say, you need to look at the mother and father because that's the pattern, and they're very likely to follow that pattern unless they consciously decide, I won't be like that, so how am I going to change that? And certainly, there are things in our parents that we want to emulate. And so I sometimes say to them, you make a list of the things you like about your father, the things you admire about your father, and the same things she makes the list about her mother. And those are things that, yes, I pray God will help me develop those in my life. But what are those things that you really would not like to duplicate? And those are the things you need to begin looking at and talking about, how, how can I be different? and learn some things that will make you different. Gary also said this, Bill, I wish I would have learned how to solve disagreements without fighting, arguing. (laughs) Tim, I never anticipated we'd ever have a conflict before we got married. (laughs) (laughs) Because everything she wanted to do was fine with me, you know, and everything she suggested was fine with me when I was in love. And so we got into it, and obviously I had no plan for handling conflicts because I didn't anticipate conflicts. And so what we ended up doing was arguing with each other. I reasoned, you know, honey, let me explain it to you, you know, and if I explain it to you, I'm sure you're going to see my point here and you agree with me. But she had the same idea, you know, so we ended up explaining to each other louder and louder. And eventually we were yelling at each other. And obviously that hurts both of us. We go away wounded and we sit there and wonder, you know, what's going on? How are we going to get out of this? Did we make a mistake? You know, all those thoughts begin to roll around in your mind. I knew nothing about how to listen empathetically to another person's point of view. Nowhere along the line did I learn that. I wish I had known that beforehand so that I could have said, okay, honey, let me hear your perspective. It's hard to see through someone else's eyes, Gary, but there's a lot of truth to this in a fight. She isn't getting hysterical. She's getting historical. She's bringing up all that stuff that she's been through. And a lot of what you're seeing, a lot of what you're fighting about is emotionally charged from a lot of who she was growing up. That's exactly right. And if you can learn how to listen and not butt in and not rebut, you know, but listen and try to understand how she got to where she is. 
what went on to make her see it this way or to have the feelings that she has? And if you really try to be empathetic and put yourself in her shoes and look at the world through her eyes and the way she's interpreting things, I'm trying to understand how she could see it that way. And really you can if you try. It takes some effort. You have to learn how to do it, but you can learn that. And then if you listen to her empathetically and can honestly say, Honey, I think I hear what you're saying, and it really makes a lot of sense. And it does make sense in her head. Now, let me share how I was looking at it. And so you share your perspective. And if she learns how to listen and can say that to you, you know, honey, I hear what you're saying. And Yeah, and that makes sense. Now, how can we solve the problem? So you spend your time working on a solution rather than spending your time trying to convince them that they're wrong and you're right. <laughs> Two words that you um, mentioned that you wish you would have learned a lot more about before you got married, and that's simply the old apologizing, I'm sorry thing, and the forgiveness piece. Yeah, and those go together. There are some men who grew up with fathers who said to them, real men don't apologize. My father never said that, but I grew up with my father never apologizing. That is, I never remember hearing my father apologize. Now, my father was a good man. He was a Christian. He was in church every Sunday. I really don't have many complaints about my father, but I would hear him from time to time. You know, here I am, a 10-year-old boy sitting in the back seat of the car, and he would raise his voice with my mother and speak to her sharply. My mother would just clam up. She wouldn't say anything. I guess she learned if she tried to rebut, it would be a big argument. And it hurt me as a kid in the back seat. It didn't feel right for my father to talk that way. But I never heard my father apologize to my mother. Maybe he did in private, but I never heard him apologize. So I came into our marriage with no model of apologizing. It just wasn't there. I mean, theoretically, I knew that I was not always right, but I just didn't have the model of apologizing. So I had to learn that you cannot have a good marriage if you're not willing to admit I was wrong. I should not have done that. I'm sorry that my behavior has hurt you. So I wish I'd have known a lot more about apologizing before we got married. Today on Life, Love, and Family, Dr. Chapman, we're talking about things I wish I would have known before we got married, such as that romantic love has two stages. What do you mean by that? Well, there I'm introducing the idea of the five love languages. The first stage, of course, is the euphoric stage that we talked about earlier, what we call typically falling in love. But then once that subsides, we have to move into a different level, different stage, and that's much more intentional. We have to learn how to love each other, how to speak the language of the other person. And I had no idea, no concept of the five love languages in those days. Uh, and I just did what was natural for me. My love language is words of affirmation. So I would tell my wife you know, how nice she was, how nice she looked, and I'd tell her how much I appreciated what she did. I thought I was just really being a great husband, you know, loving her. Uh, but her love language was acts of service, doing things to help her. And I never did anything to help her. I was in grad school, and she was working, and I thought, you know, I'm in school. I can't cook and, and wash dishes and do all this stuff. Before long, she was saying to me, you keep saying you love me. If you love me, why don't you help me? You know? <laughs> and I was blown out of the saddle. I had no idea. I thought she felt loved. So I wish I'd known that there are two stages, two very distinct stages. And the one, you're pushed along by your emotions in a positive way, and it's wonderful. The other, you have to learn how to love. To me, it's interesting, always been interesting, that in Ephesians 5, the scriptures say to husbands, love your wives. It's a command. 
God commands love, not a choice, and he tells you how. As Christ loved the church, which means it was giving himself for us. And so the husband's to give himself to the wife. That has to be your attitude and your spirit if you're going to speak another person's love language. I just wish I had known that before we got married so that when I came down off the high, I would not have been so disillusioned and felt like, oh, my, I've lost it. I don't know. This doesn't feel good. If I had known it and been expecting it and knew about different love languages, it would have made it much easier in our marriage. Gary, help us understand deposits and withdrawals, too, because I think a lot of us want to withdraw from a relationship that we haven't put a lot in. Maybe we're just tired. You know what? I feel like all I do is give and all you do is take. I'm not doing that anymore, yet I still want to be loved. And I think that's often the pattern that develops, Tim, as you well know. Most of us, well, let me erase that, all of us, (laughs) all of us are self-centered. And there's a good part to that, because that means I take care of myself. I eat, I get exercise, I sleep. But often that self-centeredness leads to selfishness, which means that I view the relationship in terms of what I'm getting out of it. And we move into marriage thinking how happy the other person is going to make us. And if they don't do the things that make us happy, then we begin to criticize or demand or sulk or withdraw, depending on our personality, and the relationship goes downhill. Because what I'm doing is withdrawing from the relationship, and and it's empty. They're not giving me what I need, and therefore I'm complaining, and I'm making things much worse. What we have to understand is that marriage has to do with love, and love is giving both ways. The wife giving herself to the husband. He's giving himself to her. They're learning how to communicate love to each other, how to discover needs, how to meet needs, how to encourage each other and help each other. And let's face it. That's what God had in mind. He didn't create marriage to make people miserable. He created marriage because men and women are made for each other. And when we learn how to be loving and caring and supportive, we help each other reach our potential for God and good in the world. But by nature, we don't do that because of our selfishness. And Gary, when there's a disconnect right here and you're swallowing the pain because you're hurting each other, it's not fun. I remember being in that very position in my relationship with Julie. I remember thinking, I don't know what else to do to please her. She's impossible. I'm giving everything I got. And she's not getting it. And she's looking at me like, you're a buffoon. <laughs> you, know, you, you are on another planet, dude. You don't get it. And I'm sitting there saying, you're right. I don't get it. <laughs> but that wasn't fun, Gary. That was not fun. Those were some pretty scary, lonely days. That's what they were. And you know, for me, Tim, I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. And all this was going on in my marriage. And I'm saying to God, I don't know how this can work. I don't know how I can be this miserable at home and get up and preach hope to people. And I finally just said to God, I don't know what else to do. You know, I've done everything I know to do. And it was very interesting. When I prayed that prayer, Tim, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his followers. And I heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I knew that was not my attitude. My attitude had been something like this. You know, look, I know how to have a good marriage. If you listen to me, we'll have one, you know. (laughs) But that day, really, God changed my heart when I just said, Lord, forgive me. With all of my study in Greek and Hebrew and theology, I've missed the whole point. And I said, please give me the attitude of Christ. And it changed my heart. I remember when the light came on for me, Gary, I realized all of a sudden that for some reason, she really doesn't know that I love her. 
That's the problem here. Yeah. You've got to change something. Yeah. Gary, let's shift to money real quick. Again, we're talking about the things that Gary wishes he knew. Gary Chapman's our special guest today. He knew before he got married. And Gary, uh, we all know now that money's the biggest culprit when it comes to marital pain. And breakup, by the way, divorce. Money is just playing into it big time. Talk to us about money. Yeah, I wish I'd known that we needed a plan for handling money. We never discussed money before we got married. Of course, you know, the first couple of years, the money was really not much of a problem for us because we didn't have any. You know, I mean, I, I was in grad school. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. <laughs> she, she was... Yeah, she was working part-time. In fact, she reminds me periodically that for three years while we were in school, she didn't buy any shoes. So if she buys shoes now, I say, it's okay, babe, go ahead. Buy all, I know, all I know. You you're, you're a woman likes shoes. I know she does. <laughs> oh, as we got out of seminary and, and got a job and was working in a church, and we did have money, we found that we began to disagree on money. Because beforehand, we were just doing the essentials. You know, we were just trying to make it work, and it worked. But now we had a little extra money, and so we were disagreeing on how much we ought to save and how much we ought to spend. We never disagreed on how much to give to God, because both of us were tithers before we got married. So we just agreed right up front from the very beginning that we'd give 10% to God. But over the spending and the saving, we had a lot of arguments over that. I wish that I had known that it's very, very normal and natural that couples are going to disagree over how to handle money. And if we had talked about it beforehand and worked out some things, because we had a lot of things to work out. First of all, I thought that the man should handle the money, all the money. And what happened was she began to feel like she was a child coming to me asking for an allowance. Can I have a dollar to go do this? And I didn't want her to be a child, but that's what she was feeling. And that's when I realized, hey, wait a minute, this is not the right way to do this. And so we had to work our way through that and find some ways that worked for us so that we both felt like we're partners in this and both of us have a voice in how this goes. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch to be learned about how to handle money. Sex, Gary. I wish I'd known that mutual sexual fulfillment is not automatic. Uh, Again, I'd never read a book on sex before we got married. I just assumed that with all the passion we had before we got married, you know, and the kissing and the hugging, and we never did intercourse. I mean, God kept us from that. But we were passionate physically with each other. And I just assumed when we got married, it's going to happen. It's going to be heaven. And it didn't happen quickly, and it was not heaven quickly. And we had to learn how to pleasure each other. And I later learned that God had instructed Israel, once you get married, take a whole year and learn how to pleasure each other. There's a learning curve. (laughs) A learning curve, absolutely. And I didn't know that. So, you know, here we are several months into the marriage, and I'm frustrated, and she's frustrated, and it's just not working like we thought it was going to work. And, of course, later I found out most couples go through that. But I didn't know that. I just thought that something happened, something was wrong with us. The reality is it's a learning process. Just as we have to learn how to come together emotionally and intellectually and socially, we have to learn how to come together sexually. And if I had known that, again, I would not have been as frustrated. I could have just gone along with it and learned. So it took us a while to get things together in that area, and it does for most couples. But if you learn about female sexuality and male sexuality before you get married, it's going to make the learning much easier. Yeah. It's really a, an expression of love. It is. Yeah, and that intimacy piece, it, it just takes a while to put all those dots together. Uh, let's close out with our spirituality, Gary. What do you wish that you would have known about 
knowing God together before you got married? I wish I'd known that spirituality is not to be equated with going to church. Tim, there's all kinds of Christians, and often when a Christian's thinking about marriage, they do ask themselves the question, is the other person a Christian? But often they equate that with, do they go to church? And they assume that if they go to church, we're marching to the beat of the same drummer. The reality is, there's all kinds of Christians. There's Sunday morning Christians. There's Easter Christians. There's Christmas Christians. There's daily devotional Christians. <laughs> there's all kinds of Christians. We've we got to go deeper than do they go to church. Where are our hearts in terms of God? And that needs to be explored before you get married. Because don't think that if you are passionate about Jesus and you want nothing more than to follow him, and the other person is simply a Sunday morning Christian that goes and sits through a sermon and then lives their life unaffected by that, don't think that you're going to have spiritual intimacy. Better build a spiritual intimacy before you get married and find out the level of commitment and how you view spirituality and a relationship with God. And because it means so much to a marriage, I don't think we understand that all hell really is against that element in our marriage. And so it really becomes a battleground for a lot of couples, just knowing God together. Gary, closing words yours. Well, I think what I would say to him is, my hope is that single adults, whatever age, who are contemplating marriage, will seek to learn before they get engaged, seek to learn some of the things we've talked about today. And these things can be learned. And I would just encourage them to dig into this book or other books and learn what they can about what makes marriage work so that when they get there, they're far more likely to be successful. Today we've been talking with Dr. Gary Chapman and the things I wish I would have known before we got married. The most important decision any of us make, apart from our relationship with God and Christ, is who we're going to spend the rest of our life with. And thinking through these issues, they're so critical to having a healthy marriage. By the way, if you do a little work, it might save you a few nights on the old proverbial couch, if you know what I mean. the truth? It is. I'll never forget you looked at me a few years ago, and we were just talking about counseling and family counseling, and you're saying sometimes even the guys, you don't want to do the counseling thing, but if we look at it as though we have a life coach helping us get through these issues and to the other side, I'm in. I'm a firm believer, Bill, in marriage counseling, marriage coaching, marriage mentoring, whatever you want to call it. Somebody speaking into your life constantly to help you what? To enjoy the love that God wants you to have. And you know the verse, 
Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. God help us in our marriages. Today, we want to help you build that house. We want to give you resources. All you have to do is go to lifeloveandfamily.net. You know, when you go to the website, lifeloveandfamily.net, Dr. Tim, you're going to find a lot of resources, including Light University. Bill, Light University is all about people helping people change their life. Really, if God's called you, if he's gifted you with those special abilities to look inside the life of another person, if God has gifted you with a caring heart, a caring attitude toward others, if people come to you often asking for prayer or help or direction, you probably are so unique, you don't even know it. God wants to work through you to bring himself alive in someone else. We call that biblical counseling or life coaching. You can learn those skills and more through Light University Online. Go up there and check us out. I think you'll be shocked at what God might be drawing you to. Just go to lifeloveandfamily.net or simply call us, 855-455-3264. Life, Love, and Family. You know the feeling where you're tired and unmotivated and sometimes you get mad for no reason. And maybe you don't like what it's doing to your family or to your job. That's why the Center for Counseling and Health Resources has been there for people for more than 30 years. They take a whole person care approach that'll look at everything from your nutrition, your vitamin balances, your mind, your spirit. Call one 771 5166 Or for help right now, visit aplaceofhope.com. 